Welcome to A Year on Tour with Wittinghus. Here's your host, Hans Christian Wittinghus. Hello guys and girls and welcome back to another episode of A Year on Tour with Wittinghus. First up, a shout out to my three newest patrons, Koa, Marku and Morten. Thanks so much for joining the family and for supporting my work with the podcast. Three new patrons means we are now 47 patrons in the Patreon family and therefore only three patrons away from a monthly live chat with me coming back on the menu for you guys. The monthly live chat is just one of the benefits patrons get for supporting my work. It will unlock at 50 patrons, but the current patrons already get benefits like early release of most episodes and the questions answered by me on or off the podcast. Depending on the level of support, they can also get personalized video messages, one-on-one video calls with me, even feedback on the Babinson game or a signed Wittinghus game shirt. So if you want to support my work and also get closer to me as you can with these benefits, please go check out patreon.com slash learn more about the options. And as always, there are no binding whatsoever if you choose to sign up. So enough about Patreon, let's get into today's episode. It hasn't been the most eventful last week on court for me since the latest update. Training has been going pretty much as usual, although I did decide to skip training on Friday morning last week as I was beginning to feel just a little bit of pain in my right shoulder again. I'm sure you will all remember I was also struggling with it a little bit during the World Championship preparation camp. It's not nearly as bad now, but since there are no events coming up in the next couple of weeks for me, it seemed like a wiser choice for me to give the shoulder some time off court rather than trying to push through another session and thereby risking making the pain a bit worse. So I've been giving it a couple of days off and getting some treatment and yesterday, Monday and also today, Tuesday, it felt a lot better again. So I think it was a really good decision actually to skip that Friday practice session. Another thing from practice a more positive thing is that once again last week and again these past couple of days I felt like I've been moving great on court so that seems to be like a recurring theme at the moment which is obviously very pleasing but also to my own credit I'll say I've been very consistent getting my work done in the gym for a very long period of time now to kind of keep the legs like strong and, and explosive so hopefully I can keep that up for a long time to come now. This week is again mostly about training but I do also have a league match for my Danish club on Saturday. We are up against Kolling, which is a three-hour drive for us. So for Danish standards, that's a, a pretty long away trip. I know for some of you that would be uh, not a, a far drive, but in, in by Danish standards, three hours is, uh, is quite far. We will be going into that match being the clear favorites, but that will be the case all season for us, most likely, uh, if we can avoid too many injuries. Um, I think I'm also pretty confident we can deliver again on Saturday, but we have to respect that Culling can be a tricky team to play, especially when you play in Culling. So there won't be any underestimating them from from our side. Me personally, I'll probably be up against a guy called Philip Ilum Klint, who once won the under 19 Danish championships in men's singles some years ago. 
and therefore obviously he's a he's a good player no doubt about that he also played well at, at one of the latest uh, senior um, Danish national championships but I think he's also now a player who's no longer trying to go full-time uh, as far as I know I think he's been uh, prioritizing his time a bit differently lately so yeah, we'll see uh, what kind of level he shows up with, but I'm sure he still plays at a uh, at a good level. We'll see how it goes. I'll update you all next week, but yeah, no doubt I want to win. Uh, as I said before this season, my goal is to, to stay undefeated for the team, so I need to keep that up on Saturday against Philippe. Another thing that has taken a bit of my time over the past week and also will again this week is meetings and talks about my future after I retire from international badminton next year. I keep being approached with different interesting options so I'm really excited about that and very much looking forward to see like what exactly the future is gonna hold for me when I'm done competing. I'll of course update all of you much more on this when things become a bit more concrete that, than they are right now. Right now we are just kind of uh, exploring different options, uh, me and all the ones that are, are contacting me. I actually do hope though that very soon I'll be able to share at least a bit of news on, on this topic. So yeah, stay tuned for more news on that on this podcast. Right, enough about the past and coming week. As I said, not too much has been going on, so let's move on to a couple of listener questions from my patrons. First up is from Mike. He wants to know how video analysis works for us pros. Do we do a lot of it on our own and how important is it in our preparations? And I'll start with the last part of the question and say for me it's a very important part of my preparations. I never ever play a match at international level where I haven't prepared with some sort of video analysis. Like the amount and the level of analysis do vary though, depending on yes, several factors, like how well I already know that opponent, uh, how good a, of an opponent he is, but also like how much time I have to prepare. Um, so in a certain tournament that can I can play an evening match if I win then perhaps I have to play early the next day so obviously I won't have a lot of hours to do all the things I have to do so there won't be a lot of time and also mental energy to to do a lot of video analysis so yeah it depends on, on several factors how much I do but I always do a bit no matter what and in these golden YouTube days there are always videos that you can uh, find online uh, with from any opponent yet, yet you will play on the uh, World Tour, no doubt about, about that. For other players, other professional players, it will be different and our access to help in this area is also very different from player to player. So like for example, the Danish national team, they only have a part-time video analysis hired. So he's devoting most of his time on the best players, the ones that can realistically win medals for Denmark at the championship events, like the European World Championships and so on. So this guy, he will go into a lot of detail with the data on very specific areas, which can be statistics in the service return game, who benefits longer or shorter rallies, how a certain player would win or lose most of his points, and, and so on. There are a lot of factors that play into exactly how they choose to analyze an opponent. Uh, it can also depend on what the player he's trying to help actually wants uh, to, to know more about. So there is... 
a big difference in like how it's being used and, and how much. Other national teams will have full-time video analysis, analysts hired, so they will have a, a better chance to, to do more of it. But for me, who's a guy that's not prioritized at the top uh, of the Danish national team, I'll have to do a lot of it and actually most of it on my own. In general, I'll say that I think Babinson has been neglecting data analysis for way too long, actually, in my opinion. But change has happened over the past, I'll say, three to five years. So it's definitely a growing area of focus in most of the big national team squads. I'll say and like an interesting company actually who's trying to make it more accessible to everyone is a company called Clutch. And the reason why I think about them is because just last week I had a meeting with them. Uh, I think they're on a, like a really cool mission. And yeah, as I said, I had a meeting uh, just to chat a bit about the future, maybe co collaborate in, uh, in some way. We'll see about that. That's uh, still far in, ahead in the future. But I'll definitely encourage uh, you, Mike, and everyone else to go check them out. They use artificial intelligence to analyze badminton matches in matters of minutes, I guess, like even seconds, probably. So you can find them on Instagram at the Clutch app. Uh, yeah, I'll write that name in the episode description as well. Hope this answers your question, Mike, but feel free to send me a message for further explanation as well. Next question is from Ian, who wants to know my max for one rep of squat. And that's uh, not easy to answer, Ian, because I simply do not know. I haven't done a max test for many, many years. I, I honestly can't remember the last time I did one. Uh, in my weights program in general, I have three different squat exercises. So split squat, jump squat, and normal squat, where I go down to just above 90 degrees. On split squats, I do four to six reps three sets on each leg between 50 and 80 kilos depending on where in my training cycle i am jump squat is usually four to six reps as well three sets and between 40 and 60 kilos and normal squat i do three to eight reps three to four sets with between 100 and 130 kilos again depending on exactly which period of of training i'm in in general my goal in the gym is not to push myself to the very limit uh, we are much more focused on maintaining my current strength and explosiveness without risking anything. So that's why we are actually like, quite conservative or a bit conservative with adding too much uh, weight on my body. The current setup has worked really well for me for yeah, quite some time now. I, I usually do this program two or three times a week. So we, d we don't feel like we need to change anything and, and push my body too much in the, in the gym. Uh, th this one works well and it makes it possible for me to stay pretty much injury free and still have a, a very good feeling of being fast and strong on court. There are other, pro other exercises in my program, of course, as well. Uh, this was just specifically to try and explain what I do of squat exercises. If I should mention one max test I've done not too long ago, it was back in January, we had some different tests at the National Team Center. I did leg press. I know it's not squat, but yeah, it's kind of, uh, in the same ballpark, I would say. Uh, I pressed 490 kilos for uh, for one rep. So that was uh, yeah back in January this year. You can find a video on it, uh, of it on my Instagram. Uh, if you go back to January, it was the highest uh, amount of kilos in the uh, national team um, 
So yeah, I guess that wasn't like too bad for a 36-year-old, uh, sorry. Hope it uh, somewhat answers your, uh, your question, Ian. Final question is from Anthony, who's asking why BWF doesn't hold live draws done by hand for tournaments. So to kind of make an event out of a draw to pick out the names like one by one from a box or bowl or something similar. Like we know it from football at the World Cup draws or Champions League draws or stuff like that. And that is a really good question, Anthony. I'm not the right one to answer it though. We need to ask BWF who are actually in charge. Uh, I don't think they've ever explained why they don't do it. I actually already talked about this with Anna Santonsen on our video podcast, The Badminton Experience, in one of our latest episodes. So we are fully on board with the idea, Anthony, no, no doubt about that. At the World Championships in Japan this year, BWF actually did a live draw where all they did was to show everyone the computer program doing the draw. So it was like a completely laughable event. It didn't add any like excitement or anything. It was basically just putting in some names, clicking on some buttons, and then the full dream all of a sudden uh, came out at once. So yeah, a complete joke of a uh, of a light live draw, and uh, yeah, I do not understand how anyone would think that would be a a good idea. So yeah, I'll be happy to try and bring forward a suggestion to do more handmade live draws in the future. The only concern about it for me, as I see it, is that it may might be quite time consuming to do it for all five events but if that's the only uh, downside about it i think it's definitely something that bwf needs to look into to make more of a spectacle about some of the big events big events at least Right, guys and girls, I think that'll be it for today. I hope you found this episode interesting. As always, please keep liking, sharing, listening, supporting this podcast. I really do appreciate it. Appreciate it a lot. If you're listening to this before Wednesday, 12 o'clock Danish time, be sure to check in on YouTube when me and Anna Santosen go live with the Badminton Experience. I'll be back with another episode of this podcast next week. So if you have any questions for that episode, please drop them in a personal message. I'll see if I can fit it in, and that's a guaranteed answer if you are a patron. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to A Year on Tour with Vittinghus. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, share, and leave a comment in iTunes or your preferred podcast app.